Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast. My name is B, and I'm the host of this show. This podcast covers a variety of topics such as health, fitness, nutrition, self-development, inspiration, motivation, and so much more. My life is beautiful, but it's also crazy, and I'm happy to bring you along on this journey. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, you guys. I'm actually so excited that you're here because today's episode is going to be very special and full of a ton of super useful information that is supported by a ton of different research and evidence that I have gathered throughout my years of uni and some experts that I've talked to and stuff like that. So let's just get right into my week at a glance. Monday, I did my typical uh, Monday routine with my roommates. We um, went to the gym and then Danny and I actually got a massage and then I picked up Later in the evening, Danny and I had his mom's car, so we went and picked up my roommates from yoga, and then we went and did our groceries. Tuesdays, I went to class, I had, then I went to the gym, and I did a lot of circuit training, a lot of eccentric loading, so I'm actually super sore. And then I met up with a big group of my friends um, at Robarts, and it was super fun, like everyone was there, and it was just really nice to like hang out with everyone, see everyone, and... Some of us were studying, some of us were chatting, some of us were planning, but regardless, it was really, really nice to just get together with everyone and shoot the shit and just sort of be around people. I just, I love being around my friends and it's kind of weird because like a lot of my friends are like not necessarily friends with each other, but they're all friends with me and because everyone is like friends with me and like knows each other and in, in through different like various social circles we've all kind of like become friends which is really nice so I just absolutely love um, seeing all of them on Tuesday and I think it was really nice Wednesday I don't really think I did anything that exciting other than I worked on Thursday I had school and then I did an eccentric um, power focused workout so I was doing a lot of like over the bench hops um, side lunges lunge hops a lot of different hops, a lot of really explosive movements, and I am still sore from my Thursday workout, and today is Sunday, so that's a little bit problematic, and when I turn off this episode, I am probably going to do some stretching, at least I should do some stretching, um, but we'll hope for the best. <laughs> Friday, I actually went to my placement, which was really nice. Um, it was an interesting day. There were a lot of participants, and a lot of participants with different needs, and it was just a really, really, really busy day at my placement. Um, but nonetheless, it was still super fun, and I learned a lot from the people that I do placement with and all of the participants and all of the staff, so it was good. And then I actually had Friday night, Friday night off of work, so Maddie, my roommate, also had Friday night off of work, so we went and got faux. I, I know you're supposed to say it pho, but... I'm just going to keep saying it faux because that's what it says. It says faux. Um, anyways, Maddie and I went for faux and then we just sort of walked um, along our neighborhood. And it was kind of interesting because like I've never really walked through my neighborhood and not been in a rush, like not being like I need to rush home to do this. I need to get to work. I need to get to campus. I need to get to practice. So we were just sort of like endlessly strolling through our neighborhood we stopped at stores that we walk past all the time and never go into we went to the bookstore and I like immediately felt like it was an episode of you as I was walking through the bookstore I know I sound crazy 
Um, but yeah, it was really nice to just like walk through our neighborhood. We went to the bakery and we got some baguettes and then we went to the grocery store, got some different cheeses and then we came home and my other roommate Monica was off work by then. So we just had some wine, some cheese. We stayed up all night talking. I fell asleep on the couch as usual because I can't stay awake anywhere oh maddie and i even like stopped in our neighborhood and like got a beer like we were just not in any rush and it was so nice to like have a night off and not fill it with schoolwork and homework and stuff and just not be in a rush and just take our time it was just really nice it was really nice it was a good day friday was a really good day on saturday so yesterday because i'm filming this on sunday night or recording this on sunday night i uh, babysat for my cousin my cousin has a baby so i babysat my second cousin if you will um but first, before that, I worked a full day at Patagonia. Then I went and babysat her, and it was just so amazing. She is so well-behaved, and my cousin's baby just lives a very, very simple um, lifestyle, and I really appreciate that by, like, the way that they're bringing her up. I can imagine it would probably be pretty hard to raise a kid in today's era if you're not someone who wants your kids to be on iPads all the time or video games or whatever it may be and she just has such a beautiful imagination and she just lives such a simple um, lifestyle and it was really nice to hang out with my cousin and then when my cousin well my cousin's baby uh, when my cousin's baby went to sleep I eventually just passed out on the couch watching Netflix and then today which is Sunday um, I worked all day and then after work I actually stopped by at Value Village on my way home and I found something really cool and you guys I don't know if you can already tell just by listening to the episode but I found a pop pad and isn't it amazing that I can say pop pad and my microphone doesn't go like like pop 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 like I can't do it now because I have a pop pad but um, yeah, I found a pop pad at Value Village. So I've made this crazy contraption with my microphone and my camera tripod because I don't have a mic stand. I usually just like hold my microphone and sit in my bed. Um, but I made this crazy contraption where I just use my tripod as a mic stand because why get a mic stand that I'm never going to use when I can just use a couple rubber bands and make my tripod into a mic stand, which I'll get tons of use out of. Um, so let's go. Minimalism. Love it. And then a pop pad so that my podcasts hopefully sound a lot better. If it does sound a lot better, let me know. If it sounds worse, also let me know. But I did a few tests and I do think that it probably sounds a wee bit better. This week, my song of the week is the Me and You Together song by the 1975. It is a brand new song that the 1975 came out with. And you guys know I love the 1975. And also the 1975 is coming back to Toronto in May. And I, if you listen to my 2019 recap video, I went to the 1975 concert last summer in June with one of my best friends, Maddie. And it was like just the most euphoric concert I've ever been to. It was so amazing. The vibes were so good. The music was phenomenal. The people were amazing. Maddie and I just had an amazing time. And I think I want to buy tickets to go see the 1975 again. But I'm also kind of like, I don't like I want to just like, have that memory of like, being at the 1975 concert with one of my best friends and have it be like so amazing and just have that one memory because I worried like if I go to see the 1975 again like nothing will compare to that concert and then I'll have that like tainted memory of the 1975 concert like I can't tell you guys how good it was and just how much fun my best friend Maddie and I had and it was just amazing so I don't know should I go to the 1975 again 
Should I go to a different concert? It was honestly one of the best concerts I've ever been to in my life. So that says a lot because I've been to a few concerts. This week I can't get enough of is matcha. I've really wanted to um, get on this whole matcha trend. I know that it is super, super trendy in Instagram and podcast worlds and health and fitness worlds and nutrition and all of those things. Um, so I really wanted to get on the trend. So on Monday when we were doing our Monday routine, I stopped by at a health food store and I picked up some matcha. And I've been having it every morning before my coffee. So I boil the kettle and I put in like my French press. I put like the coffee that I'm going to drink in my French press. So I boil the kettle. I only do one cup of coffee in my French press. But then I do a cup of matcha in just like a like a mug. You just like mix the powder in. Add a wee bit of honey. I add the boiling water, milk. And then I top it off with a wee bit of cinnamon. And then when my French press is done, it's usually time for me to leave the house. So then I actually bring my coffee with me. So I have my matcha at home in the morning. Then I um, pour my coffee and then go about my day. Um, And I have been loving this matcha, you guys. Matcha doesn't necessarily taste super great. I do make it taste good with like a wee bit of honey or sugar and the cinnamon on top. It's definitely an acquired taste. Um, Some people say it tastes like dirt. I don't think it tastes like dirt, but I also don't think it tastes good. Um, I don't know. Matcha is a wee bit different, but... I've really been liking the just feeling of alertness that it gives me. Like it's a different kind of alert. It's like a, it's not like, oh, I'm awake and I'm ready for my day. It's like, oh, cool. I am like fully like alert and like aware. It's, It's just really cool. And there are a ton of different proven evidence based, um, research supported reasons why matcha is amazing for you it is one of the most powerful antioxidants in the world which is really important for reducing oxidative damage throughout the body systemically as well as slowing down the progression of aging it's also shown some benefit for an increase in metabolism um, but the research with that is somewhat inconsistent and then it's supposed to improve cognitive capacity which is kind of cool um, so yeah, matcha has been my can't get enough of this week. I'm so glad I'm on the matcha train. I wish I had like a milk frother so that I could make a matcha latte, but we're doing baby steps, guys. Baby steps. This week, my featured product of the week is the Way Leave-In Conditioner. It's so dry in the city, you guys. It's so freaking cold. It's supposed to be like minus 25 tonight. My hair has been taking a serious hit. Like it's just like it's just cold. It's just cold and it's dry and it's brittle and my hair has been not having a good time. So the way leave-in conditioner comes in a spray bottle um, and I just spray it all over, literally root to tip. It's so good. I love it so much. It's a wee bit more expensive, but it's a great product. Um, It smells really good and it doesn't give my hair that like You know when like leave-in conditioner makes your hair feel kind of sticky almost? Like it doesn't feel greasy. It's like sticky. Um, It doesn't do that at all. You just spray it in, brush it through, and you have beautiful hair. So I've been loving that product. We're getting to that time of the year, that time of the semester, that time of the winter when things are starting to pile up again. Um, January is over, all of the the goal setting and all of those things have already occurred, Um, and now we're just really getting into like the hardcore 
nitty gritty time to work. I know for me, it's about the mid of the semester coming up. So I'm going to have a buttload of midterms and stuff like that. And then right after midterms, we move into final projects and final papers. And then right after that, we're going to be moving into final exams. So it is just about to be a busy, busy, busy time. But whether you are a student, a working professional, freelancer, serial traveler, um, whether you are black, white, gay, whether you live in Canada, whether you live in Australia, whether you live in Indonesia, there is one thing that everyone on every place of this earth can relate to. And there is one thing that unites all of us. And the one thing that unites all of us all over the world is the fact that we are all stressed the fuck out. <laughs> There's no better way to put it. We are experiencing some of the highest levels of stress all over the world, but most specifically in Western societies, because there's just an overwhelming amount of stress in people's lives. We have an inability to turn off. We're constantly connected to our work via our phones, our computers, our laptops. Um, and it's not like the same stressors as the way it was when our parents were growing up. It's not like you could just graduate high school or graduate college or graduate uni and walk into a job. Now you need minimum bachelor's degree, minimum college certificate, minimum master's degree for different professions. It's just like the, the demand and the need to be successful is so incredibly high right now, which is also causing a lot and a lot of stress all over the world. Also, we have an overwhelming amount of information coming at us 24-7 via the media, um, whether that be physical media that we see around the city um, on our drive to work, whether that be commercials that we're taking in in between our podcasts or ads that we're seeing online. We are getting getting bombarded with media and just an overwhelming amount of information and that is all causing us to be stressed and since people are so freaking stressed out all the time we've also seen a huge 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 increase in stress related stress related illnesses such as anxiety depression autoimmune disease irritable bowel syndrome insomnia some cancers heart attacks stroke ulcers and so much more even more specifically with regards to reproductive health we've seen an increase in infertility in both men and women alike and these are both um, largely influenced by stress. So we have all of this compelling evidence that you know stress is causing us to be ill, stress is causing autoimmune disorders, stress is causing insomnia, stress is causing all of these crazy things that contribute to different illnesses. So because of that, there's never been a better time to care about managing and reducing the amount of stress that we experience. So knowing this, knowing um, that we have a lot of stress going on right now, knowing that it can cause illness, injury, disease, and knowing how important it is to address these issues, I thought that I would make today's podcast all about the effects of stress on the body and different systems. Now I must say, I'm only gonna cover a few different topics in this episode because I could go on about every single system in the body every single pathway, every muscle, every organ, and chat about how stress changes the abilities of 
their um, autonomic functions. Um, but that would take us about 10 hours, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to talk on a few different topics that I think that you guys will find interesting. I did take a course called Stress and Coping in either my third or fourth year of uni. I honestly can't remember. And that was taught by Dr. Tamanen at the University of Toronto Faculty of Kinesiology. So I do have quite a bit of knowledge about stress and what it does uh, throughout our systems, which is kind of cool. And I also use a book to reference this which was actually my textbook from the course but I would strongly recommend that if you are someone who is experiencing stress which you probably are everybody is experiencing stress I think that you should read this book it's called why zebras don't get ulcers by Robert Sapolsky where is the I, I can't remember where I put it Robert Sapolsky or something like that but it's called why zebras don't get stomach ulcers or why zebras don't get ulcers it's a really good book like I said it was the textbook for the course but I whizzed through it in I think only like a week because I was enjoying it so much and that never happens to me with textbooks so this episode is influenced by the course that I took as well as influenced by that book and I think it's going to be really interesting. So today's agenda we are going to talk about identifying the different types of stressors just like a little bit of a general overview of stress, the stress response and the different nervous systems that are involved. Then we are going to talk about the effect of stress on various systems in your body and how that how stress can cause illness and disease in those systems. And lastly, on the agenda, we are going to cover some tips for identifying good versus bad stress and good versus bad coping, and then uh, some of my best ways that I decide to deal with stress and how you can deal with stress too. Okay, guys, thanks for listening to that brief we break there. Let's talk about d- identifying different types of stressors and a little bit of an introduction to the different nervous systems in your body. So Yerkes Dodson proposed this theory of the inverted U theory of stress. So just take a U, envision a U in your mind and flip it upside down. Basically, at one end of the U, you have U-stress, which means no stress at all. You have absolutely no stress in the world. You are living completely carefree and you don't give a crap about anything. Then as you move over towards the middle of the U, you have some stressors and some things that are causing stress. And this is considered in the middle of the U a healthy stress. Then as you get more and more stressors and more and more pressure and more things stressing you out, you move to the other end of the inverted U where you get distressed. So you have this sort of continuum of not enough stress is not good. The right amount of stress can be really beneficial and too much stress can be really detrimental. So somewhere in the middle of this inverted U is supposed to be best for motivation, inspiration, and just sort of living a good life, if you will, and having enough stressors to sort of keep you going. Make sure you're submitting things on your deadline and getting things, the, getting things done that you need to do. We also have um, perceived stress, and perceived stress is things that aren't necessarily stressors in themselves, but they become stressful because of the meanings that we ascribe to them. Um, So this can be a wee bit hard to understand, but, you know, maybe my room being messy isn't 
necessarily something that is going to make my body stressed out and send me into a stress response but the meanings that I ascribe to my room being messy that means that I've been lazy that means that I've been all over the place that means I haven't been organized that stresses me out so the meanings that I ascribe to my room being messy is what causes the stress not necessarily the stressor itself and then there's actual stressors so these are things like deadlines finances illness injury things that are actually there tangible that are stressors in of in of themselves and they are going to stress you out lastly I want to give you guys a wee bit of uh, foundational knowledge just about the different nervous systems in our body so if you are one of my listeners who um, has some uh, background in this maybe you're in kinesiology maybe you're in some sort of healthcare um, thing where you already understand the different nervous systems and this is all going to be reviewed to you um, but if it's not reviewed to you then that's kind of cool but I am just going to put this down into the simplest terms so that everyone can follow along and I'm just going to speak in layman's terms so that everyone can understand what we're chatting about here so the human body is controlled by a few different nervous systems um, the ones that we're going to talk about are going to be the parasympathetic nervous system as well as the sympathetic nervous system. So the parasympathetic nervous system is what we would call our rest and digest. When we are in parasympathetic, parasympathetic dominance, we are, we are usually uh, very calm, very relaxed. Our body is doing things like digestion, reproduction, healing, rebuilding, uh, restoring. All of those things are sort of happening in the rest and digest phase when we are in parasympathetic, parasympathetic dominance. During this time, our heart rate's usually pretty low, our blood pressure is pretty average, and we're just sort of chilling out. Uh, for example, if you are just sitting on the couch watching TV, you're probably in parasympathetic, parasympathetic dominance, unless you are someone who is chronically stressed, um, like me. <laughs> um, but par the parasympathetic uh, nervous system is really in charge of just healing our bodies and making sure that all of the things that need to happen to keep us alive and well are happening. So that is the first nervous system that we're going to talk about. So we're going to call that the PNS. Then the other nervous system that we're going to talk about, which I'm sure you've heard of you've heard about before is the sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is our flight or fight response or the four F's. Um, I'm not going to tell you what the four F's are. If you want to know them, ask your Google home. It will tell you. Um, but basically the sympathetic nervous system is responsible for four main F's and I'm sure you can infer what those may be um, but during sympathetic dominance we are fighting or flighting so we get an increased amount of blood flow uh, blood is diverted away from our organs reproductive organs kidneys digestion all of things like that all of the blood nutrients and things are diverted away from those organs and they are sent to our working muscles so that we can either fight what's in front of us or get the hell out of there we get an increase in heart rate, uh, an increase in heart rate, an increase in blood pressure, an increase in respiration, and we also transport nutrients a lot faster. So when all of these things happen, you know, heart rate's going up, all of these things are going up, we're sending blood to the working tissues, digestion goes down, like I said, reproduction goes down, immunity goes down, a whole bunch of things go down. So Hans Selye was one of the first people to sort of think about why does stress make us sick? You know, if we have these nervous systems that are made to keep us alive and, you know, if stress makes us do certain things, if stress 
causes us to adapt or whatever it may be, causes us to build up antibodies to different illnesses. Why is stress also in turn making us sick? So Hans Selye got all these mice together and he did a whole bunch of mice studies um, and he really wanted to know. So he found that we sort of go through this project project we sort of go through this process of a stress response when something happens so the first thing that happens when we perceive a stressor or something happens to us something a stressful event occurs we have an alarm reaction our body is alarmed something stressful just happened then we get either an adaptation or we build up a resistance so we either get an adaptation to the stressor in which we respond accordingly, we deal with the stressor and it's all good, or we just try and resist the stressor. We try and put the brakes on. We say, get the hell out of here, man. We're not dealing with this stressor. We don't want you to be here. And we will put up those brakes for as long as we possibly can until we reach exhaustion. So when a stressor occurs, in summary, we kind of get this huge cascade of events that are happening, um, all resulting in the release of glucocorticoids, cortisol, prolactin, different um, sympathetic hormones and stress, stress hormones into circulation. So chronic stress can cause chronic sympathetic activation, which is when we are getting all of the blood going to those areas, um, all of the blood being diverted away from different organs. We're not resting and digesting. We're getting an increase of those hormones that I just talked about. But what effect does this have on our bodies? Second thing on the agenda, what stress does to the different systems in our bodies. Let's talk about stress in your metabolism. So stress can, and stress absolutely will, wreak havoc on your metabolism. When people get stressed, they tend to go one of two ways, and I'm sure you can probably identify quite quickly which way you go when you're stressed. So you can either go hyperphagic, so hyperphagic when you're stressed, or you can go hypophagic when you're stressed. I am definitely one to go hyperphagic. Hyperphagic means that you eat like crazy and hypophagic means that a loss of appetite. So hyperphagic is stimulating of appetite and hypophagic is loss of appetite. So most people go one of two ways when they're stressed or some people go through both hyperphagic and hypophagic in a cyclic pattern when they're stressed, which is also the case. Sometimes for me, if I'm really, really stressed about exams, my hunger hormones will not tell me that I'm hungry and I will have a loss of appetite for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours while I'm studying. And then out of nowhere, my body would be like, oh shit, you're hungry. And then I will eat absolutely everything in my wake. <laughs> so um, I tend to experience both, but I also definitely experience hyperphagic a stimulated appetite when I am stressed out. Um, it's very, very common for people to eat like crazy when they're stressed out. I know I definitely do. And even like if I don't sleep that much, which is a stressor on the body, not getting enough sleep, I eat like crazy. And I feel like it's because my body's trying to like make up for the fact that I didn't get enough sleep and I didn't get enough energy for it. Um, I don't know. I just find it like kind of crazy that when I'm stressed, I'm like, I want to eat everything. And when you're stressed, like I said, you get a huge release of glucocorticoids into circulation. These are just um, 
it's just a underneath a class of hormones, but glucocorticoids are really, really prominent in the stress response. So glucocorticoids are the ones that actually stimulate that hunger hormone and they actually make you really, really, really hungry. And you have a lot of glucocorticoids when you're stressed out in your circulation, like I said. But not only do glucocorticoids stimulate hunger, they actually make you crave foods that are really, really starchy, full of fat, full of sugar. Like, honestly, what a bitch. Um, that is just like insane. So not only am I becoming way more hungry when I'm stressed out, but I'm also hungry for all the wrong foods that are not going to help my body, not going to make me feel nourished, and not going to help the situation whatsoever. So not only do they stimulate, like I said, hunger and shitty food, Glucocorticoids also stimulate the deposition of fat. So they actually make you store most of your fat abdominally because abdominal fat cells are very, very, very sensitive to glucocorticoids and they sort of stimulate the cells in this area to store your fat viscerally, meaning near or around your organs. And that sort of gives people, when people have a lot of visceral fat, they have a lot of fat around their organs, it gives people that apple shape. I'm sure we've heard of apples and pears. Um, I don't think I'm either. I think I'm like a weird combination of both because I definitely have some fat around my gut area and I know that it's one related to diet but also related to stress because Stress will cause you to store fat in this sort of abdominal area. Whereas if you have lower glucocorticoid levels, lower cortisol, you're more likely to store fat as a person who is a woman, um, someone who is like biologically a woman, I should say, um, you will be more likely to store fat in your ass and in your hips and in your like thighs. Um, but if you have really high stress levels, you're going to store them more viscerally, more in your abdomen area and more around those organs. So if you're someone who is shaped like an apple, um, it's likely that you have really high stress levels and also being having that sort of apple shape and having a lot of visceral fat increases your risk of a cardiac event significantly, increases your risk of cardiovascular disease, of different metabolic diseases. It, you just don't want fat, um, fatty deposits sort of around your organs. It's, it's really not good for you. So one condition that is actually super prominent and prevalent when talking about um, the stress response and different related illnesses is irritable bowel syndrome. I know many people who have irritable, irritable bowel syndrome because think about it. When you're in that fight or flight response, the very last thing that you're doing is thinking about digestion and extracting essential nutrients from food and extracting the water in the large intestine, reabsorbing it back into your body. You're not really thinking about those things. So stress actually causes an over-contractility of the colon, which is very, very strongly related to irritable bowel syndrome also because we get this over contractility because your body is saying we need to run away from a lion right now we don't need to have all this extra stuff in our digestive system so we need to get rid of it so you start getting a lot of stomach contractions intestinal contractions colon contractions things like that to sort of expel all of the things that you don't need while you're running away from a lion so that is why a lot of people who are chronically stressed out do get irritable bowel syndrome is they are just in that sympathetic tone sympathetic dominant sympathetic dominance for a long time and one thing is 
when we are in sympathetic dominance, we the I'm stuttering so much. The large intestine actually loses uh, the ability to reabsorb water back into the body. So we end up getting diarrhea. Yep, you heard me. Have you ever been stressed out before? Guys, come on, let's just be real. Have you ever been stressed out before and gotten the shits? or gotten the runs, or like you, one of my friends, every time before they fly, they have diarrhea, because they're like stressed out about flying, and getting to where they need to go, and they have diarrhea every single time, I did musical theater for 10 years, you guys, some people get diarrhea when they get stage fright, I just get kind of, I just get kind of gassy, um, if I have like a, like a show or something like that, I don't really get stage fright, I just fart a little bit, um, but some people get really, really, really bad um, diarrhea before they do ex- like exams, tests, things like that. I'm sure we've all experienced it. And next time you're like super, super stressed out, notice. Just just keep it in the back of your mind that you might get the shits. And that's because your body doesn't deem um, reabsorbing water at the large intestine as something that's essential because it's in that sympathetic tone. It's thinking about fighting or flighting. It's uh, deriving the blood flow and nutrients elsewhere. And it's saying like, this is a non-essential right now. We don't need to be absorbing water back into the body. We got to get rid of whatever we don't need in order to run away. And you can get chronically dehydrated if you are having a lot of diarrhea um, from a state of being under chronic stress. It also causes a significant amount of pain and discomfort having all of these sort of contractions happening all around your body and all around your insides. So if you are someone who suffers of irritable bowel syndrome, I am so sorry, but I do know that there are treatments, there are hope, and there are actually stress-based interventions that can hopefully help um, address some of the issues that you're having. Next up, let's talk about stress, sex, and reproduction. We are just going right for it, you guys. Elevated stress in men can significantly, 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 significantly impair a man's ability or a person's ability, I should say, a person's ability to create sperm. How does this happen? It happens through a cascade of different hormones, different events that inevitably block or significantly reduce the amount of testosterone that is being produced at the testes and the amount of sperm that is also being produced. It's crazy. So glucocorticoids actually decrease the testes sensitivity to luteinized hormone releasing hormone, which stimulates the testes to produce testosterone and inevitably sperm. I'm trying to make this in as few words as possible so I'm not confusing people or myself. I could get really, really in-depth if you guys want me to. Let me know and we can definitely talk about this more in-depth. But inevitably, we are glucocorticoids are coming in there. They're fucking everything up. And the balls are just saying, hey, guys, we're not making any more sperm. This is, this is too stressful. We have other shit we need to do. No sperm's coming out today. Similar things sort of happens um, in female or biologically female sexual anatomy as well or reproduction, if you will. Um, So the hypothalamus um, releases luteinized hormone, releasing hormone into the circulatory system. And then luteinizing hormone, releasing hormone um, also releases luteinizing hormone and uh, follicle stimulating hormone 
which causes you to ovulate. So basically, the hypothalamus sends all these things around your body that cause you to ovulate. But stress will actually inhibit the release of certain hormones along this pathway. Um, so you're not even getting the hormones released, but then glucocorticoids come into this and they actually um, release prolactin, which decreases the ovaries' sensitivity to luteinizing hormone, thereby making the ovaries less likely to ovulate. And this can last for a really long time. So not only are you not um, releasing luteinizing hormone, releasing hormone, uh, prolactin is actually covering in, coming in and making your ovaries less sensitive to luteinizing hormone and thereby causing you to not ovulate. Now, this is the unfortunate case for a lot of women right now. We are seeing a huge, huge, huge increase in the amount of both women and men alike who are experiencing uh, reproductive issues or ailments or issues with fertility and not being able to get pregnant, not being able to get kids. We see a lot of men who are no longer able to ejaculate, a lot of men who actually can't get an erection. Um, it is really, really sad the things that are happening because sex is just such an important aspect of life. Reproduction is an important aspect of life. And, you know, being able to share these things with your partner is also really important. So it's just kind of really sad to see that stress and glucocorticoids are coming in here and causing a lot of humans to be unable to produce. And I should say that once the stressors have just stopped, say you cut all the stressors cold turkey and you go and live out in the cabin in the woods with no social media, no nothing, and you just live off the land, you have absolutely no stressors. It takes a very, very, very long time for the reproductive system to adapt to no longer having those stressors anymore and sort of heal itself, if you will. So even though I'm only 22 right now and I don't intend on having kids probably for the next, I would say, 10 years, I'm still thinking about my reproductive health right now because I don't want to be infertile by the time I am 30 and ready to have kids because that would just, it would be so heartbreaking for me. And I know that it can be really easy to think of the mindset like, oh, I'll deal with that later. But some of the decisions that you make right now will actually influence your health down the road. So if your boyfriend is someone who is chronically stressed all the freaking time maybe you should talk to him about it if it's a boyfriend that you see yourself you know having a future with and having kids with one day you should talk to your boyfriend about that because that will likely mean that he is producing less sperm which will mean that he is less fertile and then also if you are someone who is chronically stressed all the time and you're not really ovulating that much um, ovulation is really irregular your periods are really irregular your cycle is really off um, that will also lead to you being infertile as well so the sooner that we can address these things and sort of care for them and prep for the future now the better so that down the road when we want to start having babies we can start popping them out sister get it get those babies okay let's talk about stress and the immune system now I could go into a lot of different things about interleukin 1 interleukin 6 lymphocytes killer t-cells all these different things but I think I would just bore the brains out of you guys and it's kind of a lot to follow things like that without a visual if you are not someone who has any sort of immunology background or biology background so I'm just going to give you the brief overview of how stress impairs significantly significantly <laughs> impairs your immune system and in this section I need to take my own advice because right now my immune system has been absolutely trash um, I've been good for knock on wood 
knock, knock, knock. I've been good for like about two or three weeks now. I haven't had a cold or anything like that. Um, but I have definitely experienced stress-related immunosuppression. Almost every single time that I go um, home for reading week and then come back that week. So I've like gone home. It's been amazing. And then I've come back and I had to like do school and everything like that. I've experienced uh, illness right when I get back because I'm sad. I'm sad about leaving home. I'm already homesick. And I know that the right when I get back to school after reading week, it's just like, Midterms, papers, finals, stress, 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 immunosuppression. <laughs> so glucocorticoids actually suppress the formation of lymphocytes, which are essential for building up antibodies against different illnesses. So glucocorticoids come into our bodies. They say, hey, lymphocytes, you are just going to halt right there. You're not going to do anything and you're just going to let your host get sick. There are a laundry list of ways that the immune system is suppressed under stress. And I'm just going to share with you guys something crazy that I don't think I ever talked about on the podcast. Um, but I actually experienced a lot of immunosuppression last semester. Um, when I came back from reading week, my roommate and I were at the gym and she noticed a dot on my back. And I was kind of like, oh, that's weird. I had one of those in the summer and it just kind of got bigger and then it went away. And then um, that was around like mid-November. So then it was late November, final papers, and then final exams. And during this time, the dots went crazy. Um, they were big, uh, like red circular patches. I went to the doctors. I was worried I had skin cancer. It was spreading throughout my entire torso. And they said, no, uh, you have pityriasis rosea. Uh, we don't know what it's caused by. Sometimes it can be caused by black mold. Sometimes it can be caused by um, stress. Sometimes it c you can pick it up from different gyms or facilities. Or sometimes it can actually be related to stress. And I personally think that now, looking back, I think it was related to stress because it just went crazy. I was covered. I can't even believe I'm telling you guys this. I hope no one judges me for this, but I was covered in these red patches all over my torso and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I had more and more and more patches. And luckily no one could see them because they were on my belly and stuff. And then when I went home for Christmas, they miraculously after like a month I think it was like six weeks actually of having all of these dots out of nowhere they disappeared like literally disappeared they were gonzo so I think that was my body just telling me that I was way overworked way too stressed out and it was just reacting in that way because I was significantly immunosuppressed um I started taking vitamin D and I also started taking L-lysine to get rid of my pityriasis, but I'm still so paranoid that like if I get too stressed out, it's going to come back. So that's just one example of how I experienced and stress-related illness um, and a lot of the research I looked up online was like, you need to calm the fuck down. <laughs> um, we are also seeing a lot of autoimmune disease. So it's also hard to explain this without a graph, but basically once, when we have a stressor, our immune system is temporarily um, heightened. It's, it's better for a wee bit. It's, it's working more functionally. So we get sort of this little peak, this little sharp 
increase in our immune system's functioning. So we're just chilling, stressor happens, immune system function goes up. Then it comes back down. Then another stressor happens, our immune system goes back up again. But it doesn't come back down to that same level that it was at initially. So like really, really short um, stressors, but that are very... um, stressful, I guess, (laughs) or traumatic or significant, repeated stressors over a small amount of time that are just like stressor one day, glucocorticoids come back down, stressor the next day, they go up, they come back down, but not all the way. You sort of get on this upward trend or this linear trend until you reach a state of autoimmune. There are a number of different autoimmune disorders and not all of them are caused by stress, but repeated stressors can lead up to autoimmune disease, such as psoriasis um, and a bunch of other ones. I can't think of them right now. I feel stupid, but it's a Sunday night at like 10 30 p.m. Cut me some slack. <laughs> Next up, I really want to talk about stress and memory consolidation. I think it's amazing that our brains have the ability to decide what they want to remember and what they don't want to remember. If you've ever been through something really sad or really traumatic, maybe when you were a kid, um, I lost a few different important people when I was younger. My grandpa, really close family friend, um, my granddad, you know, just like family, family deaths that just happen and are part of life. Um, But I can tell you that like when my grandpa passed away, I was old enough to be able to remember it. I was in grade four, but it was so freaking stressful that my brain has taken that memory and threw it away. I barely remember anything from my grandpa's passing um, just because my brain was like, this is a traumatic thing. We don't need to remember this. Also, um, I was in such a sympathetic tone that my brain was like, we don't need to consolidate memories right now. We need to run away from this lion. I just think it's crazy how the brain has this ability to decide, you know, what it wants to remember and what it wants to completely delete from our memories. It's just, it's so insane to me. So like I said, um, when we are in that sympathetic tone, our brain isn't really thinking like, hey, I want to consolidate some memories right now. It's thinking like, we need to get the frig away from this lion. So if you are super, super stressed out, your memory consolidation is actually significantly impaired. So sort of in general, um, stress and the brain, because this is like a huge, huge, huge topic to sort of sum up in a few sentences, um, but stress really just messes with a lot of the different synapses and hormones and catecholamines and all these different things that happen um, at the level of the brain and throughout the body. So stress just really messes up everything that's going on in the brain and doesn't allow your memories to be consolidated. It also doesn't allow for a retention interval and there's just too many things going on that your brain has to pick and choose what it can pay attention to and what it can't. Lastly, I really, really, really want to talk about stress-induced insomnia. If you are someone who is experiencing stress-induced insomnia, I would strongly recommend going and talking to a physician about this ASAP. This is actually a serious condition that needs to be addressed. Stress-induced insomnia is not something that you should just live with. It's not something that you should accept that you have. It is definitely something that you should be doing everything that you can to try and treat. As someone who does have Alzheimer's disease in my family, I know the importance of sleep um, and avoiding insomnia because 
During sleep is actually the only time beta amyloid plaques can be cleared in the brain. We build up beta beta amyloid plaques beta amyloid plaques every single day in our daily lives. Um, We just get these little plaques in the brain and then when we go to bed at nighttime, we have special little things in our brain that go and clear those beta amyloid plaques. However, if you're not sleeping adequately, you do not allow for the clearance of those beta amyloids. And then once those beta amyloids build up, they can cause a plaque, which then can cause um, things like dementia, Alzheimer's disease. You won't notice the the first few thousand, but you definitely will notice after a lifetime of chronic stress, a lot of beta amyloid plaques and some cognitive decline, potentially dementia, potentially Alzheimer's disease. So if you are someone who experiences stress-related insomnia, I would strongly recommend trying out um, putting some lavender oil on your pillow. Um, lavender in your diffuser at nighttime, uh, doing a really good bedtime routine that sort of preps your body, gets you into that parasympathetic activation and gets you ready to go to sleep because sleep is really, really, really critical for living a long and happy life. Okay, guys, so that is the effect of stress on the various systems in our body. If you want to know about more systems like mental health, um, I am more than happy to talk about those, but it's sort of hard to cover all of these topics in such a short wee podcast. Um, But let's just talk about what we can do. So if we're noticing that we're in that sympathetic dominance, we're really stressed out, we have that high heart rate, high blood pressure, um, sort of scatterbrained, not able to remember much, maybe we have diarrhea, maybe we have upset stomach, maybe we're experiencing immunosuppression. What do you notice if you're in this? What do you do if you notice that you are in this sympathetic tone? So the first and easiest thing you can do to take your body from sympathetic dominance over to parasympathetic dominance is to take a deep breath. I know this sounds crazy and everyone's like breathing isn't going to save my life, Um, but in this case, it actually will. So when you take a really, really deep, deep, deep breath expanding through the abdomen and through the chest, you are actually putting pressure against the vagus nerve, which runs up into the brain. So the vagus nerve is really important because that is the nerve that stimulates parasympathetic dominance. So if you are feeling really anxious, really stressed out, you have a lot going on, taking a deep breath, pushing yourself, trying to push yourself over into that parasympathetic tone is actually going to be very, very, very beneficial. And even just taking, you know, a few minutes or a few seconds before bed to take five deep breaths just to sort of get yourself over into that parasympathetic Or if you are sitting on the subway, say you take the subway every day on your way to work, um, taking a few like five super, super deep breaths on the subway uh, just to sort of move yourself out of that constant go, go, go uh, sympathetic mentality, um, it can be really, really beneficial. Um, Something that I really like to do for addressing stress is definitely yoga. I'm not much of a meditation person in that like I don't just sit there with my eyes closed and my legs crossed, Um, but I do really like crystals. Um, I like sitting around crystals. I don't really like close my eyes. I just like to sit there and like be cozy, sit there with a book. 
um, something that I find really therapeutic. I also really like doing yoga, moving my body, addressing where I may have built up some tension uh, throughout my body and relieving those tensions and just sort of getting my body moving. Something that is definitely so bizarre and you won't really understand it until you do it. Um, but something that really works for me for relieving stress is coloring. Um, my roommates and I have a few different adult coloring books. And guys, it actually works. Sitting there and just coloring pretty colors of pretty pictures is such a huge stress relief. I can't even describe it. It's so good. Um, one book in particular that I really like to color is the Anatomy Coloring Book. Because I took Anatomy in first year, it's been a wee while. Um, so I do need to sort of practice and rehearse my anatomy knowledge so I just got the anatomy coloring book which is pretty cool and I'm excited about that but I really like coloring another way that I deal with stress is going for walks going for walks with friends going for walks to just be alone and grab a coffee at Starbucks and sit there by yourself for five minutes um, I really do like going for walks getting outside being in nature finding a park that's close to you and just walking through that park um, my roommates and I live near a dog park park so sometimes if I'm really stressed out I'll actually just go walk through the dog park and be that creepy bitch who is looking at everyone's dogs and smiling <laughs> or just asking random people if I can pet their dogs if someone's walking past me on the street and their dog's cute you bet your ass I'm asking them to pet it because I just find it is such a huge stress huge stress relief being around animals Another way that I really like to deal with stress is through my Sunday night routine, which I talked about last podcast. Um, I really like to engage in a lot of self-care, doing things that make me feel really good, like cleaning up my space, organizing my room, um, treating myself with love and kindness. I do really like having a good Sunday night routine because I feel like it preps me for the week and brings my stress, my stress levels down significantly and I also really 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 like to do essential oils when I'm really stressed out I like to combine lavender and peppermint lavender to literally just calm me down a wee bit and make me more relaxed and pep peppermint to sort of get my brain going and clear any fogs that I may be experiencing Another thing I like to do if I'm feeling really stressed out and something that you should definitely do as well is to treat yourself. Um, treat yourself to a 30-minute massage. That's what Danny and I did. It was $58 and it was so incredibly worth it to sort of address a lot of the stress that I was carrying in my back and in my posture and in my pelvic tilt and things like that. So I'd definitely say if you're experiencing a lot of stress, treat yourself to something that is going to help uh, relieve that stress. And then after you treat yourself, come up with an action plan to address that stressor. The last thing that I would recommend for dealing um, with stress is to not take life so seriously. If you are stressed out because your bus that you were on broke down and your subway is late and you missed your train, you guys, there are way, way, way bigger problems in the world and life will go on and you will get on another bus and you will get another train and just stop stressing over the things 
that you can't change. There are a lot of things in this world that we can't change, but we can change the way that we respond to them. So please, if you don't want to get any stress-related illnesses, if you want to increase longevity, if you want to live a healthier and happier life, then don't take life too seriously. Don't stress over the things that you can't change. Okay? It's a beautiful life, you guys. Thanks so much for listening.